Good evening, and welcome to Teleosis Institute's Vital Conversations. I'm Reggie Mara, Creative Director at Teleosis Institute. And tonight I'm happy to introduce our guest, um, who's also the Executive Director at Teleosis Institute. It's a little bit of a switch for us, but Dr. Joel Kreisberg um, is a chiropractic doctor. He's an integral master coach. He, as I said, is the Executive Director of Teleosis Institute. He also holds an ACC credential with the International Coach Federation. Um, tonight, uh, Dr. Kreisberg and I are going to be speaking about um, why narrative health coaching and why now? What, you know, what is narrative health, co health coaching and um, why is it important in 2016? Um, and the subtitle is The Power of Upgrading Your Story. So with that introduction, um, I'd like to, to say hello to Joel and to uh, begin just by asking a straight out question, you know, what is narrative health coaching? Hi, Reggie. Nice to see you again. It's good to see you as well. It's interesting to be the guest on our own show, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, why narrative health coaching? Let's give folks a little bit of background. Narrative health coaching is what we are, uh, we describe the way, our, the technique that's emerged. So historically, you and I are both trained in, in, in something called integral coaching, which came out of integral coaching Canada tradition. And we have, uh, you know, because we were teaching at Maryland University of Integrative Health, we began to notice that the health coaching field needed uh, a bunch of, uh, needed another offering besides the, the, what was essentially being done now. And so we've evolved this idea of narrative health coaching, which essentially is using bringing narrative into the coaching process, bringing your story with you, right, into the way that we work with our clients. So narrative health coaching, essentially, you know, we, we have four pieces or four principles that we, we offer in narrative health coaching. Stories matter, which I just said. Relationships engage, so we're building relationships in narrative health coaching. Um, learning transforms, so we use a learning model in narrative health coaching. And finally, growth heals or growth heals, I should say. So uh, narrative health coaching model is, is rooted in the idea that as we tell our stories, we're more engaging with one another, we're more able to uh, learn, and that allows us to transform the issues that are, are occurring in our life. And ultimately we grow, and that growth is part, one of the ways that we heal. It's not the only way that we heal, but it is actually one essential way that we heal. And so health coaching is, is, is coaching that's extending to people's health, and often people are looking for healing in what they're doing. Yeah, great. So th thanks for that introductory remark. And we're going to come back to those four um, basic principles, story matters, relationships engage, learning transforms, and growth heals. But in order to, to put those into um, a specific context, what I'd like to do is, is focus the conversation on, on two specific areas um, that you and I have had conversations um, about you know, privately and that we are engaging in conversations with other coaches about as well. And those are you know, two trajectories that, that uh, coaching tends to go in. And they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, but they sometimes um, 
are taught that way, or at least they're learned that way. So one of those is goal setting and the role that goal setting plays in coaching. And the other is narratives and powerful questioning. So what we I'd like to do is see if we can tease apart um, goal setting versus the, you know, the story itself or narratives, see what, where there's a little bit of tension there and land in a way that, that speaks to um, why we're endorsing narrative health coaching as a modality. Does Absolutely. Make- yes, and that's what we're going to do. So, so with the, the idea for, you know, to reiterate what you're saying, rather than talk about narrative health coaching for the next hour, um, we're actually going to pick two themes. And you said goal, goal setting and, and then powerful questions in the use of narrative and show or juxtapose two different approaches. And the way we're going to do this is actually is to share a quote uh, by you know pretty well known uh, coaches and talk describe how this works in one setting and how it works in a narrative health coaching setting and the value of each. So I think I'm in charge of sharing the screen now. Yeah. Yeah, I believe you are. Yes. So I'm going to share my screen and get rid of that. And there we go. You want to read it or you want me to read it? You read it. Sure, I'll read that. Um, I have to just remove a couple things. So goal setting number one. Without a specific goal, there can be endless drifting, a floating on the winds of this good idea and then that one. Goal setting gives clients a specific direction and an action for making something real. Goal setting falls into two main categories. First, goals to re, and in fact, this is blocked here, uh, to react to a specific time in the future, and second, ongoing goals. Helping clients with the basics of goal setting can make a big difference in their success. The best goals are specific. They are measurable, or they are some way, or there is some way to track or monitor results. And this is a quote from um, the best-selling book, Coactive Coaching, um, by the Kimsey House team, uh, who are the founders of Coactive Coaching. Yeah, let's just read the full. So it's Henry Kimsey House, Karen Kimsey House, Philip Sandahl, and Laura Whitworth. And they are the directors and the founders of Coach Training International, CTI. And it's, it's called, you know, Coactive Coaching. And, and this is uh, what is taught in many coaching schools. And there's quite a bit of, of truth here, right? We make specific goals. And particularly in health coaching, this turns out to be something that is quite relied on. This idea of having a specific goal. Sometimes this is really the root of smart goals. I think, right? Is that true, Reggie? I, I believe it began there. Yeah, in, in terms of that acronym um, that that many many coaches rely on in order to make sure that their goals fall into a certain um, context, or I would even call it a formula. That there's a little checklist you go through to make sure that your goals are appropriate. Yes. Yeah, so it's specific. The client goes a specific direction and goals to be reached a specific time in the future. And then there's also this idea of measurable SMART 
right? SM, that's this measurable. And so, it, you know, it seems to me that a lot of coaching, rely, particularly in the health field, relies on this type of goal setting. So you want to lose five pounds, you're going to exercise three times a week, you're going to get to bed at 11 o'clock. I mean, there's nothing particularly wrong with goal settings in this particular way. And it's usually in a very short term. So that middle paragraph, this idea of goals to reach in a specific time in the future. So it's like during the next week, what are you going to do? And the co-active framework where you're, you're actually in the client to, to, to self-direct, having that be your prompt leads to very specific goal sending. It's not bad. No, it makes sense that uh, in the opening paragraph, I think is really important. Um, without a specific goal, there can be that endless drifting where a client will come in and on a weekly or biweekly basis have a new issue arrive in, or arise in his or her life and want to talk about that. So over a period of weeks or months or even you know, longer than that, it's possible to never really go in any one direction and make real uh, meaningful and measurable progress. Yeah. Right. So basically, my experience is, is when you look at health coaching, particularly in a medical setting. So, I mean, Kaiser's hiring health coaches and there is I've been looking at the UCSF health coaching program. And a lot of what health coaches do is this and it's important skill. And so um, we're, um, you know, there's value to this. Might be good to we're going to now look at another approach to goal setting in the next slide. Are we ready to move there, you think, Reggie? Oh uh, yeah, I think I think it's a good. It's time to really follow up and get a different perspective on this idea of goal setting for sure. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to move to the second slide. If I get it. So here is a, a different version of goals or a different response to goals. Uh, how about I'll read this one so we go alternate back and forth. Sure. Right. Goals are well suited for tracking readily measurable tasks, and as markers for novices and benchmarks for experts. However, I have observed that goals are often counterproductive in a large part because of the way they are used. I find they end up increasing people's overemphasis on the end state, often at the expense of other considerations. I'm going to read that beginning. They, they increase people's, number two, orientation towards short-term pressures and measures. They increase people's fatigue with goalposts that keep moving, like I do a little to this week and a little bit more next week. And, and so they, they increase people's fatigue with goalposts that keep moving, are not aligned and interfere, that are not aligned and interfere with healthy lives. And finally, they increase people's sense of overwhelm and feeling disconnected from themselves. So here you're seeing David Drake in his recent publication, Narrative Coaching, challenge the idea that, well, say there's values and goals, they're suited for tracking readily measurable tasks, and they have an unintended consequence, which he describes as counterproductive, what we're going to describe as an as a, as a unintended consequence. Right. And I, I think in, in, in this particular slide, the words that really jump out at me, and they're, and they're all important, but... Um, after the dash in that opening paragraph, they can be counterproductive, to use the language that's actually up there, in a large part because of the way they are used. And that's a big deal, I think. Um, it's not so much that he's critiquing the, you know, the concept of a goal, 
but in the way that they're actually used. So I think that's worth exploring. Well, that's worth that's what we're exploring. So when we're using the medical setting, I mean, if the goal the goal is, you know often is you know lose weight, exercise, how much time are you going to get to bed? And so then look at the first one: overemphasis on the end state at the expense of other considerations. So perhaps what happens is the person comes back to the coach and says, "Yeah, I did all that." Right, because that's the emphasis. But there may be that there's other things happening that are not being seen or noticed or even attended to because we've constrict, we've re reduced the coaching emphasis down to achieving these little benchmarks. Yeah, and and so again, I mean, this is going to be a little bit redundant, but it again is the way they are used. If it just comes down to get to this point and you're successful, there are many other aspects of a, of a client or a coachee's life that come into play for, for real health and wellness that won't be recognized if there are just these specific benchmarks or checkpoints being checked off. Well, so yeah, so then you, so, that, so you, if you have an overemphasis on the end state, the first one, it's short-term pressure, meeting the needs of the relationship of the coach-coachee relationship. There can be a fatigue that may, there may be other aspects that need to be pressured, and then eventually there could be a disconnection from themselves. So what this reminds me of, if anybody was, or is a New York Times reader, this last weekend, the cover of the Recon Review was a very, very challenging story on a woman who basically has a whole book coming out about why diets make you fat. Okay. And it's research driven. And what they basically find is, is that, that dieting sets up a condition on, in which you are out of touch with your natural internal physical state and conditions. And therefore, in the end, you actually gain weight. You may lose weight in the short term, but you gain weight in the long run essentially. And so I, it was funny because I was reading it to my wife or it's interesting. And then it's like, so what do you just, just, just does, what does the author say to do? You have to go to the very end of the paragraph or probably end of the book. And she basically says mindful eating. Okay. So she's jumped to some posting essentially the first slide <laughs> short term goals, lose 20 pounds, eat this, eat that, eat that with the idea of becoming more of a whole person and becoming aware of what my natural biological my natural awareness is when do I eat, what's the quality, and all these other pieces, right? So diets reinforce a disconnection with the self is the example. Yeah, because with, with, with a dietary goal in sight, one of the things that can tend to happen um, is that I'm no longer present to how I am right now, and I'm only focusing on where I want to go and I lose, you know, I lose track of myself in the process. So something as, and I'll do this in quotation marks, as simple as mindful eating, and I know it's, know it's not that simple, um, as a countermeasure or a counterpoint to um, just setting dietary goals is, uh, is a pretty strong statement. So now we, we just juxtapose these two ends. There's not a right or wrong here. There's goal setting with short-term measurable goals, and then there's the, the, the risk of goal tending causing fatigue. So in a narrative health coaching model, we're, we're actually less focused on that kind of specific goals and more looking at essentially the whole person and the way in which our story is being gauged toward the larger goal. 
in a lot of ways, or the actual, we, we, we create in narrative health coaching, we basically tend to create an overall uh, direction. It's pretty specific, but the idea is what do we want to see happen in the big picture for the client? And the little kind of processes are about building the skills in order to actually have what you want to have happen in your life, which very often is about healing. So it's, it's like to use the example of weight loss, it's not about losing 20 pounds. It's about what would your life be like if you had 20 pounds lost? Right? What would that do for you? And how do you get the skills in order to create that kind of life in which you are at the more ideal weight? Okay, so, so that example draws my attention to the first of the, the narrative health coaching core principles, which is, and it's a really simply stated idea, but in the context you just shared, um, it's really powerful. So story matters. Not so much how am I going to lose 20 pounds, but what would my life be like? How would my story change having lost 20 pounds? Well, that's wonderful that you point that out because then it is, is what's the story I'm telling myself that includes too much weight in it versus what the story is I'd like to tell myself that includes that I'm perfectly fine at the weight that I am right now. Okay, because that's the juxtaposition of, juxtaposition of story. I, can, I drive people crazy, but I remember one of my favorite musicians back in the East Coast used to sing this great song called Dare to be Fat that I love to sing. <laughs> I love to sing. Anyways, it's like, so, you know, in other words, what story is informing my sense of my body weight? Okay. Right? And we can look at that from an emotional point of view. We can look at that from a historical point of view. We can look at that from an interpersonal point of view. I mean, very often in my experience, uh, a lot of issues around food have to do with social relationships and self sense of identity in social dynamics. Yeah, so, so and, and I was about to ask this question before you went there, so now I'm definitely going to ask it. The second of the core principles is in fact relationships engage and as I look at that, two things come to mind, but I think there are more than just two. One is the social aspect of our lives. So, you know, sometimes, and you and I have discussed this one before, I, I'm a, um, I was born into a New York Italian-American family, and so food was a big part of my upbringing, and you could, you could really upset your mother, your aunts, and your grandmother if you didn't constantly go back for seconds, thirds, and fourths, because there's a, even after you ate the first, three portions, you don't like it, would be what they, they, it was a love type thing. But beyond, not beyond that, but tied into it, there's also the impact that our relationships with others has on our relationship with the food itself. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, so what you're describing is this whole domain of the interpersonal dynamics around eating. And, 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 and so there's a cultural element that you're describing. And so becoming, am I able to be Jewish and not have to overeat? Am I able to be Italian and not have to overeat? Right? Those are two examples. I'm sure there's lots of cultures that like to, or will I still be loved by my family? If I can say right now, I, you know, I love you, mom, but I don't want any food, more food, right? This is that side. And then there's the other side of those uh, is the actual, so, you know, system structure around food, which is, you know, how, how, how the system is often rigged for us to overeat. So the example of that is a buffet table, a wedding, 
you know, the, the way food is, is actually literally placed on the table. I mean, so, you know, we, it, it should, it, one of our blogs is, a, is a Slim by Design, which all talks about how, our, how food is sort of set up in our society actually favors us overeating and favors us uh, not being aware of what's going in us. So there's, there's a lot at play here, and I, I want to make sure we, we stay with um, each of these threads. We're speaking again of that story matters, and the story includes all of that. It includes our culture of origin. It includes the infrastructure of how we get, we get food on our table. It even includes the size of the plates we put on our table, um, because a large plate is calling for more food. Um, and a smaller plate calls for less food, and something that simple can be part of my story. Great. So, so you know, I appreciate that, that, that you brought that. So this is where the questioning process in a narrative health coaching is, is not just the, the co-act of what do you want to see happen. It's let's explore the whole story. Right. And actually ask the client to become aware of possibly things that they hadn't even necessarily considered thinking about because we're in a society that tends to look at health issues from a more specific, measurable behavioral change. And so, that process is actually, I'm going to jump in, is really the third one, which is learning transforms. So the actual coach is now serving, you're laughing because you were going to go there. Um, that's the, the coach is actually offering the, 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 the process of, of the story is actually a learning one because the coach becomes facilitator of understanding the larger story, not just letting the person tell their story, but actually dialoguing around the story in such, well, what about this? And, and having an idea about the different domains and actually inquiring, well, how was food organized in your life? Or what happens when you go to, I mean, your family, you have lots of bar mitzvahs. You have every Sunday, there's a big family meal. What happened there? Yeah, yeah. Which, which leads into um, that relationship not to overuse that word in, in this particular conversation, but the relationship that does exist between what professional coaches call powerful questions, which is one of the core competencies in the International Coach Federation, and the relationship between what a powerful question is and how it impacts narrative coaching, narrative health coaching. Right, which is the other. So what? So we're going to move now into the second topic, powerful questions and story, and we're going to do the same thing. We're going to put up two slides and juxtapose two different, excuse me, approaches. Uh, one of them, the first one is, I'm going to try and get this to come up, is uh, Meg Jordan and her fabulous book, uh, How to Become a Health Coach, right? And uh, uh, let me get this up so you can see it. There we go. I think you get to read the first one again, or do you want to switch? Um, yeah, I got it. Um, so um, slide number one for powerful questions. The most helpful questions in the coaching conversation are for your client, not for you. There are plenty of times you will need to redirect your client back to the topic at hand. Sometimes a story that the client is telling, telling has taken some crazy detours you no longer can hold the drift of what they even started to talk about. And anyone who's listening to this call um, has been in that situation where you're really sitting and you're focused and you're trying to be present and it's really hard to hold on to the thread 
that a client is weaving in front of you into this, this big tapestry. So in Meg Jordan's words, just say so. Whoa, stop, I'm lost. We started out talking about how you were going to go about seeking that new resource. And then somehow we got into the why the old appliances were better. I think we're off topic. I'm here to help you stay on track as we agreed. And very often that's all a client needs sometimes just to say, oops, okay, I see what you're saying. Here's what I really need to say. So, yeah, no, once again, and we're not saying, saying this doesn't happen. And so it's an important point. And sometimes clients talk too much and they can't be focused. And you need to have that particular skill of being actually, I mean, this it's interesting. It's a powerful question saying I'm lost. It's interesting that she's willing to actually say, I put an I statement in here and say, you know, I'm not sure what, how we got here and what, you know, because I thought we were talking about this. Right, and it, and and that's it, all it needs to get the person back on track. Right. right, you're helping the client be focused. You're helping a client, you know, and so that there is a great value of having this particular skill, and it's a necessary skill in a coaching scenario. And I think this particular example uh, points to something. I know this is a pet peeve that I have, so I won't project it onto you. But there is not. Well, there actually are some books filled with powerful questions. But powerful questions, in my experience as a coach, tend to arise in response to what's going on in the moment with the client, and they're not something that can be particularly planned for. Um, and so in, in this case, in, in Meg Jordan's example, um, it's not even, you know, technically speaking, a question, but it's more of a pause, a pointing out, and a redirection. Exactly. So it's a necessary skill for a coach to have. Yeah. Okay. And the other point I noticed from this slide is the idea is that, you know, that the, the conversation is, is definitely not for you, it's for the client. Okay. So in this case, you have an interrupt the client to serve the client. Okay. We're going to see in the other quote, which I'm going to shift to now, that there are, this, I don't juxtapose this quite the same way, but I, 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 this is a David Drake quote again about narrative coaches. It has to do with the way he sits with stories. So I'm going to read this one. Narrative coaches tend to sit within view of the other person, but we share the same interest, same interest in their largely unconscious narrative processes projected in the field. So it's interesting. He's sort of saying, while we're in here together and you see me and I see you, there's something larger and unconscious that we're sharing in this field. So we, we often invite coaches, it should be co-ee, to enact key moments in their old and or new stories rather than just recall and reflect on them. So they discover the deeper narratives at play. The only way to authentically and sustainably change a person's story is to, is to alter the underlying narrative that supports it. So I think that's, I'd, I'd love to just start with the, the, the last third and work back up because he, he juxtaposes um, story and narrative there in that one sentence saying that the only way to authentically and sustainably change a person's story, what they show up with, is to in fact recognize, work with, and, in, and eventually alter the underlying narrative that supports it. So could you unpack that a little bit more? In other words, um, 
what's the difference between the underlying narrative and the story that a client shows up with? Well, I think we were do, we were we were we were dancing around that in the earlier conversation, and, and and so we juxtapose these two together because if you get very specific and measurable, you often are not trying to see if there's an underlying narrative, right? right? So I think this is once again why we're we're showing this narrative. Health coaching is sort of saying, well, a person's telling a story, and maybe they're getting off story, or maybe you know they're having a lot. What is the desire here? What is the relationship? So the the exploration is for us to really try and understand really the, the the actual kind of larger story that's going on, the underlying narrative. Okay, by discovering the underlying narrative, we can then also begin to investigate a new story, a new narrative, right? But that in order to get that new narrative, you have to get the old one, the current one. Right. in a lot of ways and in a way losing like the specific goals is doesn't really give you the narrative it just gives you the the goal the outcome yeah so i think a, we already pointed to one example of that and i'll just say it very quickly again we said it in a different context so if i show up um with an inability to lose the 20 pounds i want to lose just to, to take that example and what we spoke about kind of matter-of-factly 10 minutes ago about the cultural impact of our families of origin, if I don't know that yet, if I don't know that eating is in fact an act of love for me, or even worst case scenario, an act of avoiding being you know, punished by someone who's upset because I'm not cleaning my plate, if I don't know that yet, that's that underlying narrative that a coach needs to help me get to so I can, in fact, change my story around food. So then the powerful questions become, how do I help the client begin to examine the, the, content, the larger context of that particular story? I mean, I'm thinking, we were, since we're talking about weight, I mean, I was just having this conversation last night with someone where I was saying dieting makes you fat. And, you know, and it was interesting that she was basically des describing that it must be by bio my biology. It seems like my, my daughter or my husband can eat whatever they want. When I eat, I just get fat. So it must be my, my physical biology is my destiny. And I'm not saying there's not truth in that, but it would be useful to sort of like really, I mean, when we talked a little bit about it, yeah, it turns out that she really likes sweets and she really likes carbs, right? So they're hard to stop eating those. Well, let's look at context. What was her relationship like with her family? How is the, you know, the Passover Seder organized so that you have, you know, 50 pounds of, of a matzah before the meal starts, <laughs> and then you get a great meal, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, so, so not to, to pound it with too large of a hammer, but story, in fact, matters. And it's, what I'd like to move into, because we're speaking about it now, it seems that we admit that story matters. We see the impact of relationship. So relationships engage. Um, learning transforms us, and we can we learn in our coaching conversations as a coachee with a coach. And then the the fourth of the core principles is that growth heals. And as we move through these uh, transformations of story, um, and we begin to learn about our underlying stories, we grow. Because the broader our story is, the more it includes, the more accurate it is, um, the more healing can take place. So can you speak a little bit about the relationship between 
how transformation, which comes from learning, leads to growth and in fact is a healing process. Well, thank you for asking that particular question because we really were moving to that growth heals. So, uh, you know, this, we're just going to keep using that, that particular example of the, of, of the weight loss. It's like, so what we're saying is in narrative health coaching, our, our emphasis is on growing new ways of understanding oneself. And we're saying stories matter. My, that, that one of the ways our story changes is through our relationships relationships engaged so as we understand we grow new awareness we also can grow new skills then because I understand I mean adults need to be engaged they need to to motivation comes from internal growth versus external motivation external motivation I mean we can unpack that but I think most people know the difference between those those two things so so that I can grow new muscles to become aware of how I'm feeling when I'm in certain scenarios that I have a tendency to overeat in. And so then all of a sudden I find it's not that hard for me to, to uh, I, I'm losing weight differently. I'm in my body differently. So I'm starting to heal my relationship with my body. Right. Yeah. Right. Essentially. And so, it, you know, it's, I mean, for the, you know, in a more conventional medical language, we call lifestyle medicine. Lifestyle medicine says some 60, 70% of what all the chronic disease that, that the average American suffering with can be taken care of to some extent on, with, with changes in lifestyle. But changes in lifestyle can go back to that first slide of specific goals. I'm going to go play golf three times a week versus stories matters, which is I'm really happy when I'm hanging out with my, when I go hang out with my friends three times a week and I go play golf and I don't have to have the French fries because actually what's more important <laughs> is the relationships and the golf than it is the food. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a, that's a, a, a great example. What I'd, what I'd like to do now is just shift gears slightly because we've been speaking about the power of narrative health coaching within the context of the four core principles and in the juxtaposition of goal setting versus the importance of story. Uh, and we've been speaking about that in terms of how it benefits clients. Um, what's the benefit for a coach who's willing to, uh, who's both willing and has the ability to monitor how he or she uses goals and goal setting, which goes back to what David Drake said earlier in the, the, the slide about not so much as a problem with goals, but in how they're used um, and how a coach holds story and um, powerful questions. What's the benefit of narrative health coaching from a coach's perspective? Yeah, so that's a great question because that's it. So often what ends up happening is that there's that fear that if we don't use that first goal setting slide, then there must not be any goals at all. And if we, when we say narrative, it's just the coaching just turned into a bunch of storytelling, right? And it's interesting because they're both false. And, and, and then it feels like um, we're, we're, there are value in having goals, but it just depends on where you put the emphasis on the goal, um, what goals you emphasize, right? So in a narrative health coaching model, we want to really examine uh, and prioritize mindset and my self-understanding and put the emphasis on that growth process. 
because that's going to increase our motivation and that's going to allow us to actually stay motivated enough to um, reflectively grow. I mean, growing is more, we can get addicted to growth. So we know that there's a, you know, there's a whole dopamine cycle where I feel good when I learn something new. Okay. Right? There was another wonderful article in the Times a week ago about growing older. And if the, you know, the best thing you can do to grow older is pick up a hobby that you can get good at because getting good at learning something is actually really good for keeping your, you engaged. And you know, so his story was learning how to play tennis. Once again, it was social and something he could master, and it really keeps you sharp. Yeah. It was a simple idea. We would call that, you know, foundation practice in the narrative health coaching system where we're basically saying, you know, well, go, you need to help a client go find something that's naturally going to increase fitness. Right. It has to have a little bit of challenge. There's not a lot of challenge watching the Warriors beat a lot of other teams. It certainly is fun, but it's very passive. But going and learn, learning skills is a, is a whole piece. So, so therefore, but if you still end up with a goal, which is what your question you was asking, you end up with a goal, just end up with a much broader goal. Right. The broader goal is being engaged. The broader goal is, got, is it, it includes a whole lot. I and mean, how would you describe that broader goal? Um, well, you, you use the word mindset, and, and, and I agree with that. I would... Uh, probably err on the side of saying um, increased awareness. So um, that, I mean, it takes in my story for, for one thing, rather than my story is I'm a guy who needs to lose this many pounds. Um, my story becomes I'm a human being who had this cultural background, who has these relationships and has multiple different relationships with food over various periods of my life. And as my story expands to include all of that, I'm more aware of what it means to be me and all of the different components and perspectives that um, contribute to this person I, I think of myself as. Uh, so awareness comes to, to mind for me, yeah. Yeah, which is actually, which is, is in, in, in learning transforms. So awareness, it becomes, you know, so, so I can actually change in, in, in my life. I, I have access to more of me to more perspectives as I learn, and, and that's gonna inform our growth. And so we're naturally healing through this cycle. So I'm gonna put this slide up because we've been talking about these four, uh, um, oh, I gotta, gotta share it. We've been talking about these four principles. We, are, we do have some time for question and answer, so we are gonna get there. Uh, but let's uh, just show this particular piece. Uh, see, those are the four principles of, of narrative health coaching. See if I got it up there without any typo. Story, ma story matters, relationships engage, learning transforms, and growth heals. Mm -hmm. And so, the, but the topic, now why narrative health coaching and why now, is it just, for us, it seems like, I mean, health coaching in general has, has got an explosive growth. It's supposed to grow up to 15% by 2020, uh, you know, in the next four years. And, you know, there's, there, there's, there's room for a more sophisticated type of health coach to actually bring some of the principles. I mean, what we're describing is, is used in executive coaching. You know, this is not explained. I mean, some people call it developmental coaching. It's a lot of different languages, transformational coaching. And so it just seems like uh, we're adding a voice to the health coaching field 
that is basically saying, you know, use the whole person and the whole person's just, you know, it's not giving lip service to mind, body and spirit. It's like saying, well, if you're going to have body and spirit in there, or mind and spirit and emotions, you need to have the experience, the story in it. So it's a very powerful type of, of, of health coaching and um, my clients find it in, way more engaging than what they're used to when they go to see a health professional. Yeah, and, and as you began um, speaking you know, earlier in the call, mentioning the time that we, we taught together at uh, MUIH, Maryland University of Integrative Health, and the impact that introducing the idea of narrative um, and transformation and awareness building had on the post-baccalaureate students that we were fortunate enough to work with, um, they, uh, they really were first intrigued by it and then really grateful for it. Oh, absolutely. And so it's, you know, what we've, what we've created and what we're working with, um, you know, is, is, is a powerful tool that we've seen that students, I mean, often people who are interested in this particular work are already coaching, already health, health professionals because yeah. they, they're used to that, that level of engagement. The health system generally tends to engage on a much more specific, measurable type of, of way. It's interested in hearing your story in terms of presence and connection, but not necessarily using that story as a tool for increasing relatedness, for transformational development, or for growth that heals. Yeah. So with that, I mean, it's, I'm looking at the time now, and there are a few other directions we could go in, but if it's okay with you, what I'd like to do is give some instructions for asking questions to see if anybody has any, and if they, if they do, great. If they don't, um, I have a couple more questions for you from you know, my yeah. seat. So you want to do the hand raising? Do you want to explain them how to do the hand? Yeah, so for those of you who are on a computer, if you put your cursor down um, where it says participants, and you click on that, you'll get a little um, pop-up or drop-down menu where your name will appear. And at the bottom of that, um, it just gives you the option of raising your hand. And if you do that, um, I'll see it, and I'll uh, unmute you and invite you to ask Joel or, or me, but um, probably Joel, any question that you want to ask. So I see Gary has his hand up, so we'll um, go ahead, Gary. You're on the air. Hi, everyone. Um, my question is about um, powerful questions. You mentioned uh, enacting key moments as being an important aspect of, um, of these powerful questions that you as the coach ask. Do you see a role um, for or a value for role playing uh, in ascertaining an underlying narrative uh, for these uh, clients? Totally. Yes. So it's an interesting question because actually we have, so, you know, we're about to announce the Future of Health Coaching Summit, which you're all invited to, which is going to be June 6th to 10th. And uh, we have someone who does voice dialogue on it. So we're actually offering, so voice dialogue is one specific example of, of, of a role-playing model. And so this is where used in, in the right context, it's a powerful tool. So that the answer is yes, if used the right way. The challenge in a in a coaching model is is that it, you have to you have to get to that point where you can utilize it. 
without it sort of taking over the way the coach works, there's a certain amount of instruction that has to happen to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Gary, have you done this or is this, I'm just curious whether the context for the question. No, it just uh, got me thinking when I saw that uh, uh, enact key moments statement um, of some of the activities that we did while we were at JFKU, uh, where we, uh, we found some, you know, real important information just simply in, in assuming a role and even dialoguing with ourselves. So I can imagine a dialogue with a coach would be even more useful. Totally. So when, with that quote, we often invite coaches to enact key moments in their old or new stories rather than just recall and reflect upon them, right? It, 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 you can certainly, you know, it's, a it's an access to it. And so it, it's a powerful tool when it comes up the right way, right? And I've used it, Reggie, I bet you've used it in some way. Yeah. Yep. Thanks. Th thank you, Gary. Um, Anyone else? Questions for Joel or, or me? Um, again, you can just put your cursor down where it says, where it says participants and um, click on that and there'll be a little box that'll come up and you can click on the raise hand button. Okay. Well, we'll keep checking that. So if you do have a question, please um, feel free to raise your hand and I'll uh, pay attention to it. But Joel, we, there's one more component here I wanted to to speak to about narrative health coaching and um, what's unique about it. And, and there are you know, four, you know, separate from the four core principles, but there are four traits that it tends to have. And those are that it is developmental, that it takes in multiple perspectives, um, that it's integrative, and it also Im uses narrative healing. Um, so I'm thinking maybe, just to speak directly to the developmental aspect first, um, what do we mean by that? So developmental is, is a word that you're gonna see a lot if you're getting involved with coaching, it's just emerging. If you've been in psychology, it's been around for a while. It basically, uh, to me, developmental in the, in the, in the, the uh, uh, psychological health science field is that human beings have different stages of life, Okay, those stages of life go along with different sets of conditions and in terms of what we're interested in is the condition of thinking and mental condition and that mental, mental condition actually moves through developmental stages, right? So, I mean, the, the best example of it is Piaget's work, which really looked at young kids in the early moving from being completely oblivious to to the terrible twos, to you know, finally getting to sort of teenager, where the emphasis on the teenage developmental stage is very concerned for the group and the and the and the larger needs. So there's these developmental stages, and so recognizing um, that there are developmental stages, right, and that you can recognize where a client is in that process, and then design for them ways of becoming healthier within whatever state level they're at. Or some people are actually moving from one phase to another and help them learn the new skills to kind of complete that process. Those are the two main ones, right? I would say, how would you yeah. say? Yeah, I would, I would say so. And just to, to, I would add one thing to that, that um, building on Piaget, 30 or so years ago, 
um, it was thought that de um, development ended somewhere in late adolescence and early adulthood. And along came a, uh, an individual named Robert Keegan, who has spent the better part of the last 30 plus years um, you know, basically doing research and showing us that, in fact, development continues throughout our adult years. It's not guaranteed, but it is available to us. And there's a direct correlation between development and the second item that I mentioned, which is, which is multiple perspectives or the ability to take perspectives. Um, could you speak to that? Well, so yeah, so what we learned from Keegan and Suzanne Cook-Gruder and uh, as a, a bunch of developmental theorists uh, um, that is that there are, that as you get higher, you're able to take more perspectives. So essentially the earlier stages is very me. I take my perspective. And as I mature as, a, as an adult, I'm able to, to take another perspective. I can recognize that your perspective is different than my perspective, mm -hmm. for instance. And then as I get healthier or more advanced in terms of developmental, you know, in terms of my ability, I can see multiple perspectives. Right. So you see that culturally in, you know, being able to take, take perspectives of different cultures it's like well i mean you know i'm just a white guy so i can look at the world as a white guy but the world is not just made up of white guys so if i can start to see that other people have different needs so you're seeing that for instance the obvious one right now in the news is, is gender you know perspectives are changing drastically right now can i and, and, you, and so you get that reactionary notion that whatever you were born with is what you need to be able to do in order to go to a bathroom is a very me perspective. Yeah. And it's a very kind of multiple perspective to say, well, people have different gender identities. <laughs> it's very fluid. Right? And that's a very different piece. So we, so in a developmental approach, we emphasize the idea of learning more perspectives has great value. It allows you to meet your clients where they are because they're not asking them to meet you, the coach, where you are, where I am. I can really say, well, I know where I am. Where are you? And can I go there? Yeah. And that, that last, those last two questions, I'm, I'm really happy that with the way you said that, where are you and can I go there? You know, one essential tool for anyone who's coaching is to recognize his or her own developmental perspective how is it that i in fact see the world see myself and the world and having recognized that the ability then to at least have an entry-level knowledge base for other perspectives developmental perspectives that are out there because the better i can tune in and to use the language from integral coaching canada and look as my client the better able i am to serve him or her as a coach Right. right, which is yes. Yeah, so that's so. What these are the these are the uh, you know our approach the the narrative health coaching approach, right? We did the four principles, and now we also have we're talking about just different you know this other level, and so we're integrative as a system. So you can hear us talking about developmental psychology. Uh, there's martial arts. There's a, there's a variety of different perspectives, and we see great value in integrating them together into a unified system. Okay, and that's what integrative is. But then the last piece is something really important, and we're starting to run out of time, so we just have to mention narrative healing. 
And narrative healing goes back to that idea that growth heals. So with the idea of that, those principles of narrative health coaching, real, it took me a while to sort of wrap my mind around this. You know, we don't have a real good language for what healing really is. And it becomes clear that as I begin to understand my story, and I'm able to start to make different choices with it, it's amazing how much healing can occur. And so that's what we call narrative healing. And you can build this as a capacity. So in 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 narrative health coaching, we call this healing resources. And so we actively assess your current healing resources. Some people are very resilient and have the ability to bounce back. And some people have very depleted healing resources or were never given any healing resources. Um, And so we can identify where your strengths are, where your resiliencies, and then we can say, well, what can we do to build those resources so that you can be more resilient and when you do tumble or you are an insult comes into your system or you're in a situation that's stressing you, you have the capacity to right yourself. Yeah. Yeah, great. So I, that, I appreciate that. That summary, I think, is a, is a good time to begin to bring this to a close. I, so I'd like to just um, mentioned you. You mentioned the future of health coaching summit, um, which is taking place June sixth to tenth online, and it's free. Um, and that that site should be live sometime next week, if I'm not mistaken. Monday. Uh, Monday. So so the future of health uh, coaching. That's dot org or dot com. It's futureofhealthcoaching.com, and we have over 21, over 20 experts, or at least 21 who are going to be. I mean, you and I are the hosts. And we went off and we, we interviewed uh, leaders in the field. Uh, and it's in, for one week long, it's going to be free. And, you know, you're going to have to go sign up. You, you can't be on the teleosis list. You've got to go sign up for this particular piece. There will be information about it on the teleosis website. And for, uh, you know, for a week, that will be free. And uh, so feel free to take it. Um, we got a question that's come up, so we want to do that. So what is the relationship? I'm going to do this question, right? What is the relationship between meaning-making and narrative coaching and narrative work? Well, narrative coaching and, you know, I mean, meaning-making is really important to all these techniques, basically. So essentially, you know, narrative health coaching, narrative coaching, and, you know, narrative work as the question, I'm not sure I have a context for that. It's a generalized term is to some extent, I make meaning all the time with whatever I do. Right. So we're looking for the meanings that you make or that we make and using that as uh, access for creating change. Okay. There, there may be sometimes where we look at how that meaning making is constructed but it's a little less the emphasis in a coaching model. I want you to jump in on this one too, Reggie. It's more how we use that meaning making to try and have the the outcomes that we look for in terms of changing in our life. How would you say that, Reggie? Yeah, I agree with it. And just to speak directly to how how John asked the question, I'm just looking at that now. I'm glad you saw that because I didn't see it come up on the on the chat. Um, I, I see meaning making and narrative in general in a cyclical relationship that um, I have, let's say I have a small story and I make meaning within that story of my life. The better able I am to 
expand my story, take in additional perspectives. Um, I'm not going to say the more meaning I make, but the meaning I make is going to be revised and I'm going to guess expanded as well. And as I expand my ability to make meaning in this bigger story, the next iteration of my story um, may in fact expand yet again. So I see a relationship between meaning making and narrative in general as cyclical. And I would say that narrative coaching can in fact enhance a client's ability to make meaning by getting a client more and more grounded and in and familiar with his or her story. So that's, and that's, that's my opinion. That was not a prepared remark. No, it's actually really good because there's healing that occurs through and from that. So I, I, I like that. Thank you, Randy, for doing that. And thank you, John, for the question. Yeah. It's yeah. nice for us to. So going back to just really quickly, futureofhealthcoaching.com, you'll see more about it. You're all on our list that you got here. The other thing that we're happy to announce is that, you know, we have a certificate program in narrative health coaching. It's a 100-hour course, and it begins with the foundations of narrative health coaching. And so we're, on June 18th, we will be launching for the first time. It's a 12-hour workshop in the foundations of narrative health coaching. So it's the basic introduction that goes through what we're doing here, but it really, it go, you do it. You actually coach each other. You work in pairs. You learn the principles of narrative healing, all these principles, and you do it in a weekend workshop. And that gives you a taste of what it looks like uh, when, if you were to want to study this particular material, uh, you know, and go and get certified as a, as, as a narrative health coach. So June 18th, narrative health coaching or foundations of narrative health coaching in the fall, we're offering it many times as a live course and on an online course. So uh, I think we're getting pretty close to the end. Yeah. So, so with that, then you can find out all of that information at teleosis.org. Um, and with that, I'd like to just uh, reiterate that we've been speaking about why narrative health coaching and why now the power of upgrading your story. Um, I'm Reggie Mara, and I'm happy to have <laughs> as my guest tonight the founder and um, executive director of Teleosis Institute, Dr. Joel Kreisberg. Um, and we're speaking about the um, importance of narrative health coaching in, in 2016 and moving forward. So, Joel, thanks very much for for being with us tonight. Yeah, Reggie, thank you. You're welcome. And thanks everyone for coming. Yep. Good night.